I thank God for you guys. I love this church. I've served here. If you don't know me, my name is David. I've been the pastor here for 40 years. I know it feels like 41 to you, but um, those of you that are joining us online, we love you guys. We thank God for you. There's a young woman here last night for the first time who's been watching for a couple of weeks. She drove all the way from Darien to come to church last night, gave her life to Christ. I didn't even give an invitation. She came forward, gave her life to Christ, and was baptized. Another young lady, another young lady informed us this week she wanted to come. She wanted Jesus in her life. She just didn't have any transportation. So one of our young women drove over, picked her up, brought her to church. She came forward. I didn't even give an invitation last night. She came forward, gave her life to Christ and was baptized. God is at work. And you are here. If you're here for the first time, part of the reason you are here, maybe the biggest part of the reason you are here, God is at work in your life. You are an answer to prayer. People have been praying for you. They may not even know you. They've been praying for you and you've responded to the invitation of God to come. And you're joining us on our spiritual adventure through the gospel of Mark. So let me start today with this question. Have you ever had a day start off so good, so beautiful, so awesome that you never even saw it coming, wasn't even on your radar that it would end up so ugly, so dark, so terrible, so terrifying? Ever have a day like that? Well, let's step back into a day in the life of Jesus. And this is the specific place where we'll find him. This is sunrise on the Sea of Galilee. One of my favorite spots. One of my favorite times of day when we're in Israel. Now you gotta imagine on this shoreline, it is packed, it is crowded with a swelling throng of people, all kinds of people, young and old, grandmas and grandpas, little children, men and women, all come to feed on the teaching of Jesus, to feel his love, to receive his joy and his hope. And Jesus teaches that was his nature. Look at the text. Mark writes this way. Once again, this was his habit. This was his nature. Show up on the shoreline, begin to preach, and a crowd gathers. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him. Now, all these lessons, this, this teaching went on all morning, past noon, all the way through the afternoon. Now, his lessons were not lectures. Jesus told stories. Look at the text. Mark writes, Jesus did not tell them, the crowd, anything without using stories. And when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything to them. And so here was the rhythm in this day in the life of Jesus. He would tell these compelling stories and then call time out huddle up with his closest followers, explain the insights, explain the details, explain the truth of the stories. You boys got that? Yeah, okay, let's tell another story. All morning, all after, it had to be absolutely exhausting for Jesus mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So at the end of the day, as the sun's going down, here's what happens. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side other side of the lake. And so they took Jesus into the boat and started out, leaving the crowds, leaving the demands, leaving the hurts, leaving the needs, leaving the crowds behind. 
Now, what we don't want to miss is this. These young men, all in their late tween, teens, 17, 18, maybe 19 years old, uh, they do what Jesus says to do. They get in the boat. He says to set sail for the other side. They set a course for the other side. They are just doing what he said to do. And better yet, he's with them. He's in the boat with them. I don't think life is ever any better than that for me. When in my marriage with my Debbie, I'm doing what Jesus says to do and having him at the very center of our marriage. I don't think that life is any better than that for you. Maybe you're working on your finances and you're doing your finances just as Jesus says to do them. And he is right there in the middle of your money with you. I don't think there's anything better than that in life for us emotionally as we do our thoughts and feelings, as Jesus says to do them, and he's right there with us in the midst of our heart and, and, and our mind. But, but here's what's gonna happen. The, the, the best lessons in life are the lessons that we actually live. And these guys are gonna find out what we've all found out. You can do what Jesus says to do. And you can have Jesus right there present in your marriage, in your money, in your emotion, and still your life get terribly turned upside down. I mean, painfully, impossibly turned upside down. Here's how it happened for the guys. Um, but soon, and, and the word in the Greek means just like that immediately, in an instant. They didn't see it coming. wasn't on their radar. They had no idea. Immediately, in that instant, a terrible storm arose. I mean, it threw high waves. And those high waves began to break into the boat until it was nearly full of water and about to sink. Now, Mark is writing this down as he listens to Peter telling him the story. Peter was there. Peter was an eyewitness. Peter was in the boat. He had spent his young life as a professional fisherman. In fact, he uses a technical weather term to describe the storm. The, the Greek word is lilaps, lilaps, lilaps. It means a violent storm with black thunderclouds producing furious gusting winds and torrential rain. This is a killer storm. Happened in a heartbeat. In fact, that same word, lilaps, was used to describe a savage dog in relentless pursuit. It would not stop until it had caught and killed its prey. So these young men in the boat with Jesus they believe they've been caught in the teeth of a deadly storm. Have you ever felt like? They, they, they believe they were going under. There was nothing to stop the storm. There was nothing to stop the wind. There was nothing to stop gravity. And they believed that the Sea of Galilee was an abyss. If they went down, they would never stop going down. They were going down and they were going down. They were going to go down forever to the very pit of it. So they were freaking out. They're scared out of their, they're scared out of their minds. Have you ever felt that way in your marriage where the conflict was just continual and out of control and it was just eating you up? 
Or did you ever lose a job? You didn't see it coming, but you lost your job. The unemployment runs out. You still got the bills up to here, but now the, the, the income is down to here and then the income goes away. And it just feels like it is gonna eat you alive. Or maybe you have cancer and you're doing the chemo and you're doing the radiation and you're trying to eat healthy and oh man, but you just think it's gonna take you under. Or maybe it's your mental health issues. You think they are just gonna, have you ever felt like your very existence is in danger? About 30 years ago, my Deb and I got our boys, uh, jumped on a train in Milwaukee and took the train with our boys all the way out to Glacier National Park in Montana. Anybody ever been out to Glacier? I mean, the good thing about Glacier National Park, absolutely breathtaking, stunning, natural beauty. Just awesome. The bad thing about Glacier are the grizzly bears. But I'd done my homework. Um, I knew that there were plenty of hikes where there were no bears. And so we'd identified the spots on the map where there were no bears. I knew that a husband and wife had been attacked and mauled by a grizzly the day before we crossed that area off the map. In fact, the night before our first hike, we'd sat around the campfire with an old cowboy who said, I wouldn't go into that park unless they let me bring my gun. I was like, could I borrow your gun? Till the next day, we're taking every precaution. We're avoiding any area where bears had been sighted. Uh, we're carrying, all four of us are carrying bells, ringing the bells as we walk. I'm out in front of my wife and my boys, talking and talking loud. Does that surprise you? Wanting to let any predator in the area know that we're coming and to, to leave us alone. Beautiful hike. We're going up to a glacial lake, a mountain lake. I can still see and feel the crisp morning, the air, the sunshine, the vigor of a mountain hike. And everything was just beautiful until I turned. You don't climb a mountain like this. You take switchbacks. And I came around a switchback just as a grizzly came around up here. About as far from me as George and Lynette are right now. And he just rears up and shakes his head, bear spit flying everywhere, and I just froze. I mean, I am instant adrenaline, scared to death. And as I gather myself a bit, I slowly motion for my family to back away and to see if they've noticed they're running down the trail away from me. <laughs> Serious. <laughs> but that's a life lesson for you. Not everybody's gonna stay with you in your storm. You know, there are times when there's nobody to hold your hand, nobody to pay your bills, nobody to listen to you moan and groan with your sob stories. In fact, I'm gonna say this, all that stuff is not the answer. Jesus is the answer. The only hope you have the only hope you have in your marital storm is not to call up your girlfriends and talk about how bad you got it with your hubby or your hubby not to talk with your bowling buddies about the old lady at home. 
the solution to your financial difficulties, the solution to your mental health issues, the solution to your physical problems, they are all wrapped up in a real relationship with Jesus. In fact, in scripture, storms are metaphors. They are meant to strengthen our faith. They are meant to reveal to us who Jesus really is. And so storms that we go through, whether it's financial or physical, relational, emotional, they are all designed to point us to Jesus as our only hope. The point of the storm is to point you to Jesus. Now, every storm has three deadly dynamics. The first is the storm itself. I mean, and, and the, what makes it deadly is that it is completely out of control. The boys in the boat have no control over the gusting winds. They have no control over the height of the waves or that the waves are breaking right into their boat. They have no control over the gravity that is pulling them under the water. Anybody here ever been at a pool or in a lake and you were afraid you were going to drown? Have you ever, that's scary, isn't it? That is the, the times that's happened to me, absolutely frightening. Or have you ever been in a boat that's bobbing on the waves and you threw your lunch? I don't mean in the sack. I mean, you ever pitched your cookies in the lake? I have. Can you imagine the boys in the boat? Some of them, a few of them are professional fishermen. They know, and because they know they are scared to death, the others are landlubbers. And they're puking over the side, praying for it to stop. The conflict in your marriage, when it feels absolutely out of control, when the financial problems well beyond, you can't control the stock market. You can't always control your employer. How many businesses went under? Nobody saw COVID coming. That financial stuff, it's up for grabs. That's the first storm. The first dynamic is the storm that's out of control and just freaks us out. But, but then the second storm is emotional. It's worse than the first. Because when we become anxiety-ridden or panic-stricken, our fear and our worry makes the problem worse. Have you ever worried over your, over your money and your worry made the financial problem go away? Does fear ever make the problems in your relationships better or does the fear make them worse? What have you ever decided when you're afraid that was ever for your good? When we struggle with mental health issues as I have and obsess on what we're afraid of, it does us no good at all. But there's a worse third dynamic than the situation out of control or the fear. And it's a spiritual dynamic because of our panic, because of the uncontrollable, painful problem, we begin to attack God. We begin to blame God. Now, Jesus tried to straighten the guys out by asking them a simple question. Why are you so afraid? Your fear is doing no good. Your fear is just giving you an extra problem. You got the problem of the storm and the wind and waves, and now you got two problems. You got your fear on top of it all. But here's what happens in the story. Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat with his my pillow. 
I'm sorry. Okay, the disciples woke him up, shouting, get this, they're down in a group, huddling, shouting in his face. Teacher, don't you care? Don't you give a rip that we're gonna die, that we're gonna drown? You ask, why are we afraid? We're afraid because we're gonna die. Don't you care? Don't you care, Lord, about my cancer? Don't you care, Lord, about my marriage? Don't you care, Lord, about my anxiety, my depression? Don't you care, Lord? Don't you care? And we strike out God and we blame God for the storm and the length of the storm and the intensity of the storm. Well, here's what happens. When, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked, like a parent would a rowdy teenager, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly, just like that, the wind stopped. And there was a great calm, not a breath of air, not a ripple on the sea. And Jesus asked them, Dudes, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Let me show you an interview with a Ukrainian pastor who's caught in the middle of a devastating, deadly storm and who's showing more faith than fear. Please watch. The boys had Jesus in their boat. They did not put a shield around them. They were still wind swept. It was whooping their robes. Their robes were soaking wet, water dripping from their beards, their heads, hair stringy with water, the, the, the blast of the sea nearly blinding them. They had to defy gravity as they crawled from one side of the boat to the back where Jesus was, just to shout in his face. Now the shout in the face of Jesus, that was the one thing they had going for them. Because the pastor in Ukraine, when he talked about going home, he's not talking about going back to their residence. He's talking about dying and going to heaven. He says, I have no control over whether my wife, my children, or I lose our lives. If Jesus is in the boat, we're not protected from the storm, but we're not gonna go under. But I will tell you, I'll just be real. Here's what will take you under every time. It's when you neglect to rouse Jesus to be your help. It's when you neglect to rouse Jesus to be your hope. It's when you neglect to rouse Jesus to speak into your storm. In fact, here's what the word of God says. Because Jesus is anxious. He is ready. He is eager to make the personal difference in your life, whatever the storm. Scripture says, anyone, anyone, that's me, anyone, that's you, who asks for mercy from the Lord. Mercy is the number one dominant characteristic of our God. Anyone who asks for mercy from the Lord will have it and will be saved. That word saved means restored. Restored to God's best version of you. Your finances restored. Your health restored. You can get, your marriage can get saved. He does restoration. Scripture says, by his wounds we are healed. So Lord Jesus, place your wounds your wounded hands, your nail-pierced hands on my womb, on my marriage, on my money. And bring healing, bring wholeness. Restore me to your best version of me, Lord. 
You see, Jesus made them a promise before they left on this sail. They thought they were just going to go on a nighttime cruise. But Jesus said, we're going to the other side. That's a promise. And Jesus, to Jesus, a promise is a promise. And he delivers every time. There was nothing and no one going to stop these guys if they had just held on to the promise. No matter what the situation appear, no matter what circumstances seem, if Jesus promised it, he'll do it. He just said, give me my pillow. Wake me up when we get there. Whatever your storm There are hundreds of promises of God for your marriage, for your family, for your money, for your emotions, for your health. Anchor your life to the promises of God because if you don't hold on to the promises, if you let go to the promises, all you got is your panic. Look at this. You can endure any storm, any emotional, any relational, any financial storm by trusting in the promises of God. And so here's what happened. This is when Jesus is rubbing sleep out of his eyes. He blinks, he yawns and says, Jesus got up and ordered the wind and waves to be quiet. Now the Greek word there for quiet is thamao. And it means to muzzle. Remember Lilaps, the dog, savage dog that will not stop relentlessly in pursuit until it catches and kills its prey. Jesus is gonna muzzle this Lilaps Remember, um, when my family and I were on that trail up to a mountain lake and me and the grizzly bear, I I was relieved that Debbie and the boys were getting out of danger. Uh, But man, that, that adrenaline was still, boo! And I was trying to go through in my mind. I kept my focus on the bear, but I didn't look it in the eye because I knew that's number one, don't, because it will feel threatened and then come after you. But here's what I would remember that I I was to do. Fall on the ground, make myself as small as possible, cover and protect your abdomen, and then protect your head and neck with your hands and arms. So I remembered, but before I could hit the ground, the bear snorted, turned, and began to thrust his body away from me. Unbelievable. Who's ever heard of a grizzly going away from a human. But just as he began to lunge away from me, bam, another grizzly slammed right into him. It was a violent collision. And now both of these bears are shaking their heads and roaring, spit flying everywhere. I had to say that very carefully. (laughs) I'm proud of those of you that did not laugh. Anyway, what happened then, both bears turned and ran away. I grabbed a stick and chased them. (laughs) No, I didn't. No, I ran. I ran to catch up with my family. When I got there, when I caught them, I told them about the second bear. My son, Jake, he was a little guy then. And Jake said, Dad, I know why that bear didn't eat you. I said, really, why? Cause, Dad, because God wants you to keep preaching. And now Jake's preaching, so it was a twofer for God. But I believe he muzzled those bears. There was no reason for them to run away from me. 
In fact, when we got back to the trailhead and went to the ranger station and did what you're supposed to do and report a bear sighting or a bear encounter, the ranger's like, unbelievable. That's, that none of you were hurt? That's, that's miraculous. That night as we were in the lodge, um, in our beds, I could not go to sleep. I was anxiety ridden, beating myself up, flagellating myself. David, how could you be so stupid? What kind of husband are you to put your wife in such danger? What kind of father are you that you would allow your boys to be in such a perilous, deadly situation? You are such an idiot. And my mind began to manufacture all the worst case scenarios had the bears got one of us or any of us or all of us. Not until I began to thank God. Not until I began to praise God for his goodness. Not until I said, God, you muzzled those bears and sent them away with gratitude. Seeing the Lord for who he truly is and his goodness. Then with peace, I was able to drift off to sleep. Now, I'll be real. There have been times when we're watching the History Channel or the Animal Channel and it's about a bear attack and I'll look at my Debbie and she'll look at me and we'll be like, we are never going back to Glacier again. (laughs) I still got to work on that anxiety sometimes. But I know this, I believe my God muzzled those bears and he'll do the same with your storms, whether they are physical, emotional, financial, marital, any kind of relational, he will muzzle your storms. Here's how it happened in the text. The guys, they weren't panicked anymore. The wind, it wasn't even a breath. Not even a ripple on the lake, flat as glass. But now they were totally perplexed. Sheer awe swept over them, and they kept saying, they couldn't stop talking, except saying to each other, whoever can he be? Even the wind and waves do what Every tells them. Well, they were in for the ride of their lives. They did get to the other side. They did get through two more years of ministry with Jesus. And they finally saw who he was when he died in their place for their sin on a bloodstained cross. In your place, in my place, for our sins on the cross. And they did see three days later when Jesus is risen from the dead. Look at my scars. Stick your hand in my side. Touch my scars with your fingers. I am alive because I am God. So one of our ways here at Central Christian to say thank you to Jesus for how good he's been, for muzzling our storms and carrying us through, is to help people who are hurting, help people who are in need. Our love offering today, and if you didn't come prepared to give, you can go home and get your credit card or your debit card and give online or send a check or steal money from your neighbor and send it, be as generous as possible. Um, But let me pray over you right now. Lord, we thank you for how you've acted in our lives, your goodness and your greatness on open display to carry us through. We ask, Lord God, right now that you use the generosity of this church to help a family, to spare a family from peril and death and danger, to provide for hurting people in inner city Janesville, Lord. We give you all the glory and all the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you. I'll see you. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week. Thank you.